This episode is sponsored by Bigger City. Thank you so much for supporting us and helping our show to grow. Hello and welcome to the Big Fat Gay Podcast, where we talk about the things that are weighing on our minds. I'm Dan Oliverio, author, public speaker, and chubby chaser. And today I am preparing to batten down the hatches as as Los Angeles prepares for rain apocalypse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. We've been warned that we could get as much as four inches of rain in 24 hours. Yeah. And in LA, that's just mudslides and floods for days. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like nothing to anywhere else, but over here it means like houses that were on the top of a mountain now being at the bottom of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Four inches is a lot in this situation. <laughs> yes, but, but to, be fair, to be fair, Don, that, that when that happens, we call it rent control. Ooh. Yeah. Bam. But it's the only thing that'll lower your rent in Los Angeles? Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Trevor Kizan. I'm a super chub, and I am buttoned down. My loins are girded. <laughs> I checked <laughs> sandbags and uh, water bottled. Yes, his Thanks. loins have been sandbagged. Well done. Well done. <laughs> uh, my name is Michael Willer. I am a chubby chaser. And even though I am no longer in the greater Los Angeles area, I am in the greater Las Vegas area. And it is also going to get slammed by the same hurricane. So we're all just waiting to, to be floating home. Hey, <laughs> Las Vegas, less rain, but less prepared for it. Exactly. <laughs> There's a balance to all. It's the circle of life. <laughs> hey there, guys. Uh, my name's Don Marshall. I'm a big chubby guy living here in sunny Hollywood. And today I am a well-caffeinated chai latte boy because Yay. I just woke up and I really need more caffeine. And this chai latte is my one lifeline to <laughs> wakenedness. Yeah. When you said you were a chai latte boy, I'm imagining like, is that a D&D character I've never heard of? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he's being attacked by a giant chai latte. <laughs> I don't know. I just realized, that's like, I name. think my I think my coloration could be described as chai latte. Yeah, that's, fair. that's fair. All right. Well, let's uh, get into our our episode. To start off, we're going to be a little more expeditious. So, to to Patreon, thank you very much. Uh, you guys make these episodes possible with your support, and we deeply appreciate it. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and if and and if you want to know why you'd be a, why you'd be a supporter, it's to support us. And also, we have wonderful content there on our Patreon page. Yes, exactly. All right, now into the episode. As we dance into this, I have to say, I was listening to the latest episode last night, and I was like, man, I hope people like this music as much as we do, because <laughs> <laughs> we like it way too much. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, man, I just, are there people that are just like, God, just get, get to it. So we're getting to They it. wouldn't if they could see us. If they could see the four of us dancing around to the music in our seats here. Which you can't. Which can, they can't. Yeah. <laughs> um, All right. First get, up, we're going yeah. in. We're going in hard and hot and heavy. So we talked about this a few weeks ago. and saying sort of, We've put it off it. as long as we could. Yeah. Lizzo, that whole situation, allegations yes. against Lizzo. And I saw a couple different kind of pieces breaking down the situation and commenting on it. But this piece from mm-hmm. Refinery29, I felt like was kind of the best take I read because there were some others that compared Lizzo to Donald Trump. Oh, come on. And just what? like the like the followers having what? to deal with... It was a weird thing. It was... That I, is a I, strange I, yeah. way to but, do that. But uh, this piece by uh, Paseca... Paseca Kayembe? Yes. Paseca Kayembe. Um, Sorry if we got that wrong. 
uh, very cool kind of name, breaking though. down the the problem with so many people in Lizzo facing these allegations and repercussions and just reveling in it by using fat phobia to take her down. Yeah, and basically say like, we knew it. There's no way this fat black woman could possibly have been so happy and positive. She, <laughs> she's a, a total falsehood. She's a liar, you know. And well, I, I mean, look that, at her. She's fat. <laughs> exactly. How could any of anything she'd be doing be authentic? I yeah. think the great thing that this article does is it keeps it in perspective going both directions. Like, it's important to remember that she is human. She has some pretty serious allegations against her that – May or may not be true, but, you know, this is something that she's going to be dealing with. And it's important for us not to essentially put her on this pedestal of being this perfect, perfect person. And at the same time, also for the people who have just been looking for an excuse to take her down, this doesn't mean, first of all, they're just allegations for the moment. We don't have anything proven. But also this, even if they are true, this doesn't mean that she's like this monster and we, you know, like what's the what's the phrase like the only thing better than it's from the dark night like the only thing people like better than seeing a hero succeed is seeing a hero fall or whatever yeah, yeah. that's very Some, true words to that effect i mean and a lot of british media is based on that axiom right you know it's important to just keep which is partially by the way a listener pointed out the last time we talked about this i think it was two episodes ago the beautiful irony of us you know, extolling how our new recording schedule meant that we could respond to things immediately in the moment and then skipping yeah. over our, our yeah. a chance to do that with Lizzo. But well, the because, point of doing that was not to add to the cacophony. Yeah, because right now this is going to be so played out in the social media wars. It's going to be it's going to be everywhere all the time. And it'll be old news by the time they actually get to any legal proceedings. Any yeah, to, any truth. Because we any don't truth. all we have is Words we just have allegations. Words. We have allegations and 10 times as much commentary on the allegations. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, well, and this article talks about saying, you know, like waiting for due process, kind of like, yeah. and taking things into perspective. Something this article touched on a little that I'm surprised, ha like, I've been thinking about a lot because I've, I've seen discussions about it online is the idea of, so, you know, one of the allegations was that Lizzo and her dancers went to this kind of like dance club, sex club. It sounded like a Paris, burlesque show burlesque or show. strip show, something like that. And that one of the dancers felt pressured to do certain acts. And, but this whole like kind of thing of like, it is us going out as a group and like a girl's trip. And the idea of like social pressure from work and like, we're a family and like this whole just yeah. weird like boundaries need to be set. And I think that yeah. is kind of what didn't happen. It sounds here. to me like it wasn't it, – it, I don't know. I mean I this is my own two cents, but listening to the stories about it, it sounds like it wasn't specifically directed at any one person so much as there was an environment going on mm -hmm. that made all of this feel okay from people in power. You know, yeah, and I, it wasn't just Lizzo. The, the people – and I find this lawsuit interesting for this specific reason. It's the first lawsuit I've ever followed where the people suing someone are going out of their way to say, this is not a bad person. <laughs> you know, like mm. they are specifically trying to say, like, she is not full of bullshit, but this is some bad shit that happened there. And yeah. I've never seen the people suing someone go out of their way to try and do that. 
well, I, I think it comes back to something that Trevor was touching on is that people in power often a do not perceive the extent of their power because like I, I'm the boss, but we're at a bar. So, so I'm not still the boss. Yeah. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You yeah. know, if you go out with your boss in any social situation, you go to your boss's house for dinner, you invite they're your boss over your to your plows. For, mm. it, they're always your boss. There is never a situation in which they are not your boss. And, but I think the the pressure that people perceive the boss is unaware of because they think they're just having fun and they don't get that they never get to put down that mantle unless they are not around employees. And there's a very real aspect of this too, which is that somebody like Lizzo and many other talented creative artists uh, who start with nothing and yes. build themselves up, they bring their friends and family with them, they employ them, they give them jobs that are related to that sort of budding starring career. We saw this when we went to see Lizzo's show that her one of her best friends is also her DJ. And so you you get this element where everything, all the lines are blurred, even before you hire dancers through, you know, and the dancers, I think, are pri the primary uh, subjects of the lawsuit. So you're not subjects, but the ones bringing the lawsuit. And so, you know, you have this atmosphere of I get to work with my friends and family. They, they all know me. We're all, you know, and, and but Dan's point is correct, I would say, is like you're running a business now. And the more success and attention that comes onto this business, the more intense the environment, the higher the stakes, and therefore the, the I think the likelier it is that you're going to step on toes or f screw up fully. We, and we don't know what the truth yeah. is yet. I think with that, the like increasing pressure cooker environment, when things become a, you know, multi-million billion, whatever dollar corporation, you can't have slumber party vibes anymore. It's not like <laughs> yeah. it's, and it's, I think the, like not without inviting the HR department, that is the thing, risk yeah. of creating a business with your friends. Like yeah. they literally turned their friendship vibe into their workplace vibe and then assumed anyone stepping into it would just mm -hmm. click into it and feel that they were part of the friendship vibe that was now the workplace. Yeah. And yeah, that's, well, I mean, a big assumption. Yeah. Well, but even, you know, even if, because these, this stuff that comes up like this also happens in friendships. The difference is that, you know, what is a hurt feeling in a friendship is a lawsuit in a corporation. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not just a friendship. It is, you're in an industry and yeah. that burned friendship bridge becomes mm. possible, you know, blacklisting yeah. and end of your career. Yeah. Right. If you, you if know. you bring charges, if you say something, because mm -hmm. now you're not just the friend who got dissed, you are the disgruntled employee who will never be hired because you're seen as problem as, as a problem. Yeah. And, and I hate to, yeah. I hate to quite put it in these terms, but like these are fat dancers, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is probably the biggest opportunity and the biggest venue that they have available to them in this time period and, in the world yeah. at this and time. And they know it. They friggin' yeah. know it. Well, and this that was, is, I think one of the most salient points in the article, and this is what she ends on, is how important it is to, for us to remember that it, it can be really challenging for people in this position in sort of the lower position to come forward and, and say, hey, this happened because they're facing being blacklisted in their industry. I mean, this yeah. is where Me Too really got its its momentum was that the first, you know, people who actually got to break that ground fully with Harvey Weinstein and, and many others 
they've risked their whole careers. And many people before them, by the way, that there yep. were perhaps fewer articles about, did lose their careers mm -hmm. when they came yeah. forward and said this happened and Me Too hadn't happened yet and that momentum wasn't there yet. Whenever yep. this yep. happens, you can almost guarantee that there was a first wave of accusers that we never heard about who lost their jobs and lost their livelihoods and had to yeah. go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So the point is, again, at the end of this article, she says we should be creating a safe space for people to come forward and, and say this happened and then ultimately wait for the truth and, and see, you know, wait for due process to occur and see where, where it well, takes us. Well, you know, even better is, and cause that's the social media angle is, but just interpersonally workplaces need to have a way to address this. And it's really, really tough because it's not HR because HR is not your friend. And, but an ombudsman, a lot of companies have ombudsman, which is a much better idea. I think someone who's neutral. Oh yeah, that is a great idea. Anyway, so it's a it's a great article. I think it puts things in a very fair light that doesn't go super pro or anti Lizzo and basically says people keep your pants on. Like yeah. <laughs> the place isn't burning down. We just need to ride this out and see what happens. Hmm. Next up, I mean, we've been saying this for a while now, but hey, yeah. your clothes were never meant to fit you. Um. <laughs> that's the title of this new york times article your it's an op-ed your clothes were never meant to fit you yes, yes. that's correct and by elizabeth and decott yeah which is sort of like um and water is wet uh, <laughs> you know anybody who is not a fit model <laughs> has learned this uh and the reason that fit models you know because it's made for you <laughs> mm -hmm. that's yeah. the whole point of being a fit model you've been selected to have the clothes made for you uh, but anybody who's not that particular size or dimension, there's so many th great things in this article about re-talking about things that we've mentioned in, and because we've they've been in other articles about how mm -hmm. you know we thought plus size clothing was having a moment and then the moment went away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that stories we have that were, mentioned that didn't we? Like yeah, yeah. we did, we did. Uh, <laughs> or that stores that were carrying like ex, you know ex, quote unquote extended sizes, meaning like you know more than you know, the, the normal skinny people stuff, uh, yeah. they've scaled that back. In I, I love that stores. the extended sizes for like the mentions in here, I think it was old Navy yeah. that the extended yeah. sizes actually started including, including the average size for women in the United yeah. States. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Isn't that amazing? Uh, I think like, the article quotes, the article quotes that, uh, two thirds of American women are size 14 or above. <laughs> and I have to say again, as a guy, I don't know what that means. I'm, I'm assuming that means big. But well, I, you know. it, it does. It does. But, you know, there's a thing in the article that and it's again, this is one of the themes is that it's always foreign about women that fat yeah. men, uh, you know, apparently do not exist in the universe. I, so I, I had to say when it's she said somewhere, it's like, you mm -hmm. know, men's sizing is more straightforward. And it's like, is it, though? Well, <laughs> is, I, well, no, I because it's because I. You know, ostensibly and, and, that's true. Ostensibly mm, that's true. In practice, not so much. No, you know? no. The only reason, uh, no, because they use I, inches for men at least. Yeah, you know? but they but they don't. But they don't because you can buy a size thirty four, and it could be any range of of waist sizes. Trevor, we interrupted you. Yeah, I would argue that maybe it's true in the sense that like the types of garments that are constructed for men, there's less variance because it's like there's shirts. And there's pants or shorts, and that's kind of like end of list of garments <laughs> as opposed to like, you know, blouses and dresses and, you know, different cuts of dresses and yeah. jumpsuits and rompers and... But Does like, it have straps? Is it, you know, I, shoulders only? What's a romper? 
No, no, don't answer. That. It's all good. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if like I have never heard of a men's big and tall fit model. I know some, you know, plus size fit models because I just find so often it's like, who is this garment constructed for? Who did they Who's put the this model? on? Yeah. It's like, yeah. yes, this looks perfect. Send this it is, out. This is a very common theme for me uh, when I'm buying shirts is for some reason they feel that it, it should be a V shape even on a big guy. Like for some reason, even on like some of the smaller shirts, the, the bottom of the shirt narrows. And I'm like, mm -hmm. why well, would you do that to me? That's what I wanted to say in response to the what Trevor was saying that, you know, men's yeah. clothes, they're just not that complicated. You got a chest size, you got a waist size, you have an inseam and we're done. Maybe a rise if you get really complicated and get into suits. But my point is that actually men's clothing is considerably more variable than that. Something that you know, that I go through is the fit for, cause you've got the slim fit and the, and the, and the full cut and the loose cut and like all these mystery adjectives that just don't tell you what the cut is. They're trying yeah. to, they're trying to <laughs> use adjectives that you will identify with. And you're like, but what does it mean? Boot cut is if you're a boot. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm a boot to do what? <laughs> um, yeah. Slim fit means it won't fit your ass. Uh, boot cut means it won't fit your calves. You yeah, but, see, but that's my cut means it's stretchy because that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're dealing with all these miscellaneous adjectives that are just marketing terms, have no way to guiding fit. Uh, there's a company that I've been <laughs> struggling with where they want you to describe your body, but they have all these miscellaneous adjectives, and to make it even worse, they say, "Oh, and by the way." Have you had problems with this fit in in previous years? Because if so, check this box. Like, what's that going to do? <laughs> Change the entire course of your purchase. What is it going to do? Ah, anyway, so it's a mess. So I will say we've buried the lead on this article because this yes. is just the setup to the actual point she's making, which is when she was uh, younger and, and trying to get a prom dress and there weren't any decent options and then they were all in black and dark navy and of course, you know, hide the curves, hide the curves. Uh, her grandmother said, look, let's make it ourselves, toots. Like yeah. we, we can, and her grandmother was like a master seamstress. But the point was in the article writer's mind, uh, Elizabeth, I believe, yeah, in Elizabeth's mind at the time, she was like, I associated sewing your own garment with like very old timey, like poverty. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, very like frumpy patterns and frocks. And, and the thing is that just doesn't have to be the case. And so she talks about the freedom she felt when eventually she started sewing her own garments in her later twenties, uh, wearing something that didn't pinch, that didn't restrict, that actually just fit her. Mm -hmm. And how incredible that was and that she could ha essentially have access to garments that really were made to fit, which mm -hmm. is incredible. I, I recently had a couple of dates with with uh, pretty big fat guys, both of them well over 400 pounds, and they looked amazing. And I said, wow, where did you get that? And they're like, oh, I'm friends with so-and-so who happens to be a clothing designer. And yeah. a lot of their, you know, because we live in Los Angeles. And so a lot of the the success they've had in style is based on the relationship with the designer. I don't know what you do if you don't have that relationship. Where do you go? Well, well I'll be honest. There are classes around in most places that can teach you how to make your own clothing. Most sewing and knitting stores have somebody on staff. It's like a Home Depot for making your own clothing. Just go there. They will help you learn. Okay. But I'm um, curious because I, so I took a garment construction class in college mm -hmm. 
and the for the like first project was making a pair of shorts in size two <laughs> and it's like oh, you can't helpful. like that's just what you uh, make it's size, you don't get to learn to make clothes that because your body. I, I went through this too in school they are supplying the fabric they are going to make you make the smallest possible no, project we, no, no, wow. we had to buy oh you the had to buy the fabric there's no excuse that's no no there's no excuse that no there is there is there is look the the problem is and this is mentioned in the article it's not the fabric it's the pattern there aren't patterns yeah. widely available for a lot of large sizes and well, so there are people online who are beginning to do this exactly so that the, the real true point of the article is this yeah. this well it's a hashtag on instagram and probably elsewhere called me made may me made may where uh as she says thousands of hip modern sewers and pattern designers are sharing their designs and their patterns and there are some plus size accounts like and by, by the way in the month of may that's what the may is there for exactly uh, yeah. may, me made may uh tangles and starlight fat dot girl I'm not going to even try and pronounce this one because we'll a have lot a of link consonants. to the article on all of our yeah. sites. You know, and the point is that you don't have to design these patterns yourself. You can see, okay, this is this pattern. It was designed yep. for this body type and start to mix and match what will work. I'm going to throw out an additional uh, tip for the day with this one. Uh, I discovered recently that at least for the Los Angeles library system and various other libraries across the U.S., they have appliances that you can rent as well, including sewing machines. Oh, wow. So you have the access to the materials and the, the more expensive aspects from this through cer certain local resources available to you. So it's funny we should be talking about this because as soon as I found out about the uh, sewing machine, I have actually been thinking about trying to make something for myself. I, I think that's great for the people who, a long time. I think that's great for the people who are going to do that. I know me and not a lot of people I know are going to make our own clothes. But what I think is useful is if you have a pattern, you can take it to someone like a tailor or someone who does like because usually that's what they're struggling with is they don't have a pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, or I mean, if in men's fashion again, it is you know the, the mystery of a shirt is largely a question of dimension, so they can measure you. But again, that often just gives you a dress shirt. It doesn't give you a cool T-shirt, and then what do you want on the t-shirt? What should it be made of? Should it be a stretchy fabric? Should it be muslin? I mean, what should it be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of really, and the storytelling in the article is also excellent. It's, a, it's an opinion piece in New York times. So she really does take you through her journey with it. So if nothing else, it's, it's a really interesting read, but yeah, the access to the resources and the patterns, like that's a big deal. That's a big part of it. You don't have to make it yourself. If you can bring the pattern that you, you feel might fit. And then, you know, with some measurements and other, other skill sets if you hire somebody and and hopefully i mean i obviously most of us are based in la so having access to free sewing machines may not be the case everywhere but if you do i just certainly didn't know that existed until don mentioned it so it might some be libraries have like toys and stuff too it's it really i mean i think it really varies depending on if you live somewhere that actually likes libraries instead of trying to close them down. That's true. Um, <laughs> or turn them into prisons yeah. like, uh, like Texas. If you live in California, I got to say, check out the library system here. It is an unbelievable resource what they have available for us. Awesome. All righty. I think it is time. It's yes. time. Oh, yeah. There it is. That's the stuff. That's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that was 2023. Opening that fresh can of air. <laughs> Did you know you can sell air? Wait, what? Yeah, you can literally go online and buy a jar of Alpine air that someone in the Alps will send to you. Oh, you were, we're not talking oh. like 
like concentrated oxygen. You you just mean like yeah. It's literally here is a jar of Brooklyn air. Here is a jar of country air. (sighs) Fat watch baby. Fat watch baby. We have another article in the New York Times by Lisa Kennedy, Um, and this also inspired our main subject. But she talks about uh, fat camp, or more specifically. Uh, wait, what's the name of this place? Let me get Camp the Realize Your Beauty. Camp Realize Your Beauty. Oh, Which, God, yeah, I hate I, the name. I hate the name. <laughs> I do, but too, but I it's like no it worse than so many time. other camp names. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> camp Wanna Be a Racist? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> this is a nonprofit actually based in New York City, started by Stacey Lauren Merkel, um, although the actual camp takes place at the YMCA of the Rockies in Colorado. So, or is it Colorado? Is that another Nevada mm. thing? Uh, anyway. I'm saying Colorado, y'all can fight me. I, <laughs> it's a Spanish word. And I think the fantastic part of this article is, I mean, it, it is what it sounds like. It is a very, um, I guess to use a loaded term, body positive camp for young girls. But the stories they have about the actual, like, it's not just this sort of overhead view. It actually goes into some of the stories and the experiences of the girls who are at the camp mm-hmm. um, and some of the things they get to do, like improv classes. And, you know, this. there's a story about, um, you know, they were doing, I think, a breathing exercise uh, where they all lay down on their backs and, and worked on the breathing. And then one girl was like, I feel fat laying down. And so they got to kind of say, like, you're not fat laying down. You're just a person lying down. Mm-hmm. And at the end, seeing some of the the reactions that these girls take with them out of this space. Like, one girl said, this is heartbreaking. I kind of get this, though. She was like, they were all sort of saying what they learned. And she was like, I learned that it's okay to make new friends. It's mm-hmm. like... <laughs> That's my heart. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's really hard to hear, but also really just tragically honest. Yeah, uh, I, it, it echoes the beginning of the article where the camp, uh, the camp founder, you know, gives the message the first day. Because remember, you're dealing with like tweens who are, you know, everything is socially dangerous. Everything is socially dangerous. Everything is a risk. Yeah. Everything is you know means so much. And and the and the founder says, you know, like girls embrace the cringe. Yes, like, <laughs> because so many things are going to make you feel silly. I mean, any sort of, and it's 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 not really a theater camp, but there's a lot of theater in it. There's a lot of theater exercises, but they don't do like a final play for the parents. What they do is they the the final project is a video compilation of like stuff they've done during the mm-hmm. summer. Oh wow, that's mm-hmm. cool. So it, it it's it's not about it's not about like let us show you how good we are now. It's more it's more process oriented. It's more discovery oriented as opposed to results oriented. Yeah. That's really important. I, I don't know if any of you did it, but I went to a fat camp when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I, I have fewer issues with it than you might expect, but. I will say that the the fact that it was so results oriented mm, and yeah. those results were things you like you kind of just knew you were going to lose over the course of the year too that broke many of the benefits of the camp for me. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's like we can show you how to get thin and we're going to pretend that it's going to help you stay there forever. Yeah, because they they they've got this mentality that like, you know, we're taking you in because you're broken and But by avoiding fix, that. And then we're going to yes, but yeah. then there's community. Yeah. See, cuz transformation is possible in community. Yeah. And that's what this is about. That was the biggest benefit of the fat camp for me, which is what they touch on in this article was yeah. that there are so many kids there that were so damaged 
by every interaction they had with other people of their own age group. That when you put them into an age group, the I remember the first week was a bunch of people realizing like, wait, no one is being mean to me. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And then starting to open up, you know, yeah. like it was a it was mm-hmm. a good experience in a lot of levels. I think one of the most kind of side moments in the article that was kind of mind blowing, because I think as adults, you kind of forget what it's like to be a kid at different ages. It kind of all mm. just blurs together. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, you're a young kid. You're a teenager. You're whatever. But these girls who are running the range, I think, from like 10 to 14, you know, around that age range, preteen and teen, um, were saying, I hope that there can be something like this for younger kids. Yeah. So that they yeah. can have this experience earlier in life, which you don't realize, like, as a kid, you know, one year you know, is equivalent to like five years as an adult. It's yeah. just, a, oh, it's a God. total yeah. change in well, your entire it, life. If you're 10 years old, one year is 10% of your life. Yeah. yeah. It's just so much more compressed. But I think that's one of the problems that parents run into too, is the advice that you learn to give to your eight-year-old that works perfectly. It's great for the eight-year-old. They have changed so much by the time they're 10 and you mm-hmm. haven't necessarily caught up with that. Mm-hmm. And that, eight, that yeah. great advice at eight is social poison at 10. I think I just, I mean, my favorite part is the embrace the cringe because yes. I think that is all ages <laughs> advice. And I think, I it's think there was a lot that, of that in our marriage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, no, because it's just I embrace the is, cringe, honey. <laughs> I think that is like something uh, that uh, I feel like, especially Gen Z, Gen Alpha, I don't know, I don't know what they're up to. They're on their iPads. <laughs> but like Gen Z really struggles with because I feel like the I mean cringe has always been a thing cringe is timeless cringe is forever um, <laughs> but I feel like has really like been crystallized by Gen Z is like this thing like the cringe and the cringe is something that happens to you but it's like we everything is cringe we are all well, cringe and you, and you can die from it <laughs> and like they really think you can die from yeah. it yeah well, I, I just want to point out that like we're saying a lot of them, 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 but I kind of remember being in that age group and feeling very much that way. Well, there are adults that cringe is yeah. timeless. Cringe shame. Is oh, shame was just the yeah. poison. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. that's a lot of what my mom deals with. <laughs> like, doesn't realize like what she's describing is like that's cringe. You know, at seventy years old, I don't want to be doing that at seventy. <laughs> no, no, you got to embrace it early. That way, you can just. It's, understand how to live with it and be at peace with it. See, and I think, you know, theater kids, they live that. Theater kids, mm-hmm. it's all about embracing That's the true. cringe. Oh, it's, it's yeah. so true. I mean, that in that in amateur magicians. <laughs> oh, amateur, amateur magicians bring it to a whole new level. That's right. <laughs> uh, I have a lot even the theater kids that. are like, ooh, back off. <laughs> <laughs> He's one of those hocus pocus people. <laughs> I'm playing Hamlet, but he pulls rabbits out of hats. Oh um, boy! But you know, he saw Zophelia in half in the second act. <laughs> I think <laughs> to get I don't much, know, better. I, much better. I think this is a good point to just kind of shove our way into the main topic. Yeah, we went yeah, yeah. the rails, break through that membrane. Um, um, <laughs> uh, we've been talking a lot in the past couple weeks about like camps and conventions and gatherings, community coming together, and really just doing this last article. And I think it's kind of like. It's the end of summer. I think it's kind of like the last real camp thing we'll see. And I was thinking about like, I would love to see something like this for our community. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it would be camp. I don't know if it would be just be like a convention thing with, you know, camp, campy vibes. Yeah, um, I think you'd have to sort of 
take it in one of those two directions. I think it would be tough. Just infrastructure-wise, it would be tough to combine them. Well, and then um, also, <laughs> where where in that spectrum does something, or if, if it's Michael's conception of it's a binary, where where does something like Bigger Vegas or Cannonball fit? Right, because they're mm-hmm. different kinds of gathering some like Mm -hmm. for instance those kind of communities when you're it's a community based in sexual identity it's probably going to be a very sex driven convention even if there's other things happening those exist like we have that i Um, will say i i don't think a camp could handle the number of CPAP machines that would be (laughs) (laughs) just the pure electricity so i think we're just going like it's gonna be Uh, a convention (laughs) And we're talking. Okay. Adult, it's funny when we're you talking, said we've, that we've gone above the age range yes. of child. We're now in adult world. Just it's yeah, funny that clear. you should say that because one of the things I pictured in my head, I, like I, I mentioned a little earlier, I went to a fat camp when I was a teenager. The idea of like having everyone in the same cabin needing a CPAP. The first thing that came to my mind is like, you, ooh, you could just pressurize the entire cabin and turn it into <laughs> one CPAP for all of them. Be like energy efficient. It'd be amazing. Oh my god, that's right. And you don't need distilled water. There's pure river water just down the hill. I, say, I, I kind of love the idea of this too because like when when I went to fat camp, one of the first things I realized was like this is a camp where they're going to make us do all of the things we hate. Literally, yeah, it was yeah. all the things we hate. We're going to pretend that it's going to be fun when you're doing it here yeah. with other people who hate doing it. Mm-hmm. And that's one mm-hmm. of the things I remember most. So the idea yeah. of doing a fat camp and making it a place where I would have enjoyed going, that appeals to me a lot. And that does not actually shy away from bigger Vegas either. because. Mm-hmm. I found someone at Bigger Vegas. I think the other three of you are going to remember this and cringe because I. this was one of the highlights for me. And I think all three of you were like, <laughs> shut up, Don. Uh, but I found a guy who had the scooter that wanted to do jousting as much as I did. Yep. And I was so excited by that. That is a summer camp activity. And why couldn't we do that? I was denied that when I was a teenager. I am adult now. If we're going to do this activity, I want fun things like that. I sent this to all of you, and I didn't really uh, give any um, explanation. The fat boy blob. Oh, I think I forgot to open that. Tell tell me what I opened it, and I could not figure out what it was. So I, my perception of summer camp, and this could just be from the movie Heavyweights, is there is always a, like... People talk about like, oh, the blob at the lake. Because summer camp is always on a lake. Yeah. There's so many lakes in our great country. <laughs> and there is a blob, which is this big inflatable thing that like people go on and then other people jump on it and it oh, catapults them into the shoots air. You up in oh, the air. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So basically for, for listener for listeners at home, it is a an inflatable well, and it, the one that Trevor sent looks like a big penis. But basically, <laughs> somebody jumps on one end, and then the other end, someone is lying on it, and it it's, catapults them. You combine dozens trampoline of feet in the and, and seesaw. Yeah. 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 You just combine right. trampoline and seesaw, put it in a lake, and you've got the image. But it's yeah. inflatable, and so it's, it's obviously very and, and the more weight you use mm-hmm. to like – because you can have one person at one end and then have like five <laughs> people jump on it, and they'll go higher – I, with how the website is designed, so it's showing like <laughs> people jumping, but the frame kind of cuts it off. And I was imagining me, Michael on one end and me jumping on it and just launching Michael into the stratosphere. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be the greatest journey ever taken. <laughs> that was one of the things I was wondering. It was like, because there's a, there's a large variability in weight that's going to land on that thing. Yeah. And well, the lake yeah. is only so large, you know, like... 
reel us back on yeah. track a little bit. So Don suggested scooter jousting as a camp thing. I mm-hmm. was thinking more in the convention world. Um, like if there was a a <laughs> sort of fat friendly, fat forward convention that yeah. scooter jousting can happen at a convention, Michael. That is accurate. Yeah. In fact, with my idea. Not if we stop it, Don. Not if we stop <laughs> it. <laughs> so I was thinking less like bigger Vegas and more like an actual con, like just mm-hmm. a gathering of people and relevant products and everything. So the convention hall, right? Like the vendor hall, like the place where all of these businesses set up and it could, you know, like Comic-Con is the one that I've been to where every, all of these artists set up and they have their personal, you know, like whatever their art form is, they set them up. And I was thinking, how do you make that experience more palatable? Cause there are some things I like about it and some things I really dislike about it. And here's some suggested changes I would make to the vendor hall format. Number one, you have triple wide aisles between setups, which mm-hmm. would limit the amount of vendors, but I think would make it way more comfortable for the uh, cost at, at cost scooter rental at the opening to the convention hall. So that if you want a scooter, you can just rent it right there. You don't have to think ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, then you don't have to. And then, of course, having tons and tons of seating throughout where you would have like benches, couches, lounges, whatever, little places where people can sit and socialize where you don't have to be on your feet the whole time. I mm-hmm. actually thought about the one, one additional thing just for that. There are all sorts of vendors that specialize in like swings for bigger people, for uh, you know outdoor patio <laughs> furniture, all this kind of stuff. You could actually like go aggressive, bring those people in and invite them to put their merchandise at various locations throughout the vendor hall so people can sit and yeah. look at the things and I, buy them if they like the seat, you know? I have to say when you were saying swing, I was thinking – Swing, swing, swing. swing. You were thinking <laughs> sling. No, slings. Although you could no. put slings up during the vendor no, hall too. No, and That'd slings, slings are vastly underrated, especially especially for fat people, because it it sort of up provides both optimum support and optimum access. <laughs> uh, the the thing that I, you know, this has been done before in that almost almost every. Uh, big boy event like Convergence or Bigger Vegas or Cannibal, there is a vendor's hall. I think the difference here is that the vendor's hall is usually this sort of, not a, quite an afterthought, but it's certainly yeah. a sideline. Whereas if you flip that, because, you know, one of the things that is kind of high stakes about, let's say, Bigger Vegas, is that I've often compared it, descri- described it as like dating on a reality show. Like mm-hmm. it's so sexually driven and it's so results oriented for many people. Not everyone. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of people are just there to have a good time or, hey, I want to go to Vegas anyway. So why not go with you know my peeps? So that's great. But I think having it where you suggest, Michael, where it's sort of focused on the community and service of the community, you could have mental health services, you could have clothing vendors, you could have products, you could even have mobility aids, Uh, you can invite people. There's so many, I get so many ads for mobility aids that I'm like, wow, this is a really great idea, actually. I, I think that would be nice to to foreground that because basically you put enough chubs and chasers in the same place. There's going to be sex. You don't got to worry about it. It'll that. happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that happens at pharmaceutical conventions. It doesn't matter. Like you just put people in a room and they're going to find each other. But yeah. I, so I think it would be great to have products that are more community oriented. Something I thought of because I was thinking of our last episode and I don't know how this would work, but like I think as part of the whole like fashion thing and like some you know kind of like i don't think beauty brands but maybe some like skincare brand brands like i can see mega babe being there 
Mega Babe specializes in like skincare products for fat people. Mm. They also have it's it was you know geared towards women and femmes, but they also do have like a men's line of products that are basically the same thing. It's I think it's Mega Dude. Um, <laughs> but if there were like you know Chub and Chaser barbers and stylists. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, so that would be awesome. That was what I was kind of leaning towards was like having experience related vendors mm-hmm. in addition to like you bring your products and you set them up, but like also encouraging vendors to say like, Hey, to the extent that this works for you, have an experience you can provide for people. Maybe the event sort of offsets any lost costs, costs associated with like using your products or like set, you know, performing haircut, whatever it is, having the vendor hall be more than just like having to awkwardly window shop around people who are there Mm. hoping you're going to buy something, like actually providing Mm. experiences that like things you can go for free and just have them happen and, you know, have fun. I was actually going to suggest a slightly different, uh, a methodology of the way things are presented too. So I noticed at Bigger Vegas, like every, a lot of the areas were segmented. So like, this is the area where you go and you sit and have alcohol and you talk with people. This is the area where you go and you shop, right? Uh, And this is the area where you go and you swim and you be half naked. I think if some of, if there was more blending between the areas, it could benefit all of them because all of that involved walking around sometimes long distances for some people. So if like that big social area had like one or two areas where some of the vendors could be invited to come in and show things there too, or setting aside a smaller area where like people could sit and chat in the vendor area so that they could exist in the area and sit and look at things too. It's it's similar to what we're talking about, installing chairs in the vendor area, but mm-hmm. simply creating spaces for those areas to blend and mix with each other. So you don't necessarily need to walk between locations for those different experiences. It could also open up like nighttime vending in the social hall. So you know, it's not it's less aggressive selling, but you'll get more exposure from people who might not go through the vendor right. hall. Right, you don't have to go the to the... Yeah, yeah. I, I think that speaks to my point about having, yeah. to the extent that it's possible, having vendors that are providing experiences mm-hmm. and their products happen to be there rather yeah. than just like you set up and you hope people walk up and buy something or at least see you. Like if there's a way to coordinate those two aspects where the actual, you know, the customer slash attendee of the event is getting fun, free experiences just for showing up and walking through a room, that makes it that much more inviting and I think also gets a lot of positive press out there. Um, Side note, final thought that I had for this sort of larger vendor hall, convention hall thing was having roaming like food trucks, (laughs) mini food trucks, like so that you don't have to go find the thing. Mm -hmm. You can just sort of sit and wait for it to come. Yeah, food carts, exactly. Yeah. I like that idea. Anything from the trolley? <laughs> yeah. There you, and how that is such a warm and fuzzy feeling. Like you just sit there and like you pick your things and you have your snacks and you're on a bench. So <laughs> moving aside from, I think, the like uh, vendor thing, I would love like creative experiences, kind of like art classes. Mm. I think like movement, some kind of like movement class, like I think a dance class. I think something with... um clay i don't know like Hmm. fat sculpting let's go back into what we started on today like you know a a fashion show of the clothing that people have made 
for mm-hmm. themselves. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, you know, yes. An introductory class where people could make a swimsuit, for, you know, or something uh, in an afternoon so you can understand this is not that hard. You can do it. You know? what's, and, what's amazing is that fashion shows are absolute staple of all BBW events and they are mm-hmm. never present in men's events. Hmm. Yeah. We th- look, we got some good ideas yep. here. Let's, you know. um, something I would enjoy would be a cosplay event night. Uh, because how yeah. many of us have made costumes that maybe we get to wear once a year and, and our friends have seen it, it already. Yeah. So. You want an excuse to keep wearing, uh, yeah. I'm in that camp. Absolutely. Or, or it's a costume that you really want to somebody, a character you really want to go as, but you feel embarrassed to do that in the general population. You want to mm-hmm. be with your own people who will understand yep. it. Yeah. I mean, I, I will tell listeners. So cannonball in Florida, which happens around Halloween, Halloween, does have, because it's around Halloween, they do have costume party. I think it's more Ooh. like Mean Girls Halloween, like where it's like, I'm yeah. a mouse, duh. Like I'm a, I'm a jock, I'm in a jock strap and I have ears. I'm a mouse, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that a is also an environment where, um, you know, your Obi-Wan Kenobi non-jock strap <laughs> costume would be appreciated. <laughs> Yeah. Also, the yeah, Obi Wan uh, Kenobi with a jockstrap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that's easy enough. You just do like a, a early night event with like a dinner thing that all the family friendly costumes come, and then the alcohol comes out over the course of the evening, and the adult f- section comes later in the evening. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, well, and, so, and bigger, bigger Vegas has done that too, where like the the big yeah. the big meal was also a costume party. Well, no, bigger Vegas doesn't really like that is the formal event, but for the BBW event. It is usually yes. more of a costume thing where we're, yeah. whatever the theme is, people will make costumes. I, I also want to expand on like I, I know people roll their eyes at me when I talk about the jousting, but I think it would be a lot of fun to do like a like a, an obstacle course for for scooters. Like you don't need to have your own scooter. We'll supply a scooter. But like, you know, ah. do something like that. Do a mutter <laughs> event for the chasers. So the, the fat <laughs> guys get will- to see you. Looking all sweaty and muddy and oily. You can do the Chaser something similar. Mud wrestling. No, no, no. A mudder, a mudder event. Like that's an obstacle course. It's, Don, oh, it's okay. a. I and do it for the fat guys too, because the chasers are going to love to see us at the end of that course. To, you know, to, uh, looking to all sweaty and oiled up. To your scooter thing, the scooter obstacle course is just getting out of an elevator in a scooter. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, event. I'm. I'm saying like, you know, like literally an obstacle course outside in the open. I, I and know, I think it could be fun. I know, but I'm saying that like it does you do oh, not oh, oh, it is you, you do not need an obstacle course for a scooter. <laughs> Just navigating any you event know. in a scooter. No, but <laughs> I want to if I go to an event, I want to be able to do things that I will be excited about, that I will physically enjoy and not, you know, and that maybe feel a little bit made for me. Yeah. You know? Like I want that. That's awesome. So, dear listener, if you think any of these ideas sound cool or interesting or you have some of your own, let us know because um, th- this is, you know, this is not just a random idea. This is something we've been batting around a little bit and we're slowly and carefully digging into more and more. So, I don't know. It would be cool to have that kind of feedback and to kind of know how, you know, if we were going to do some sort of con, uh, what you would want to see there. Yes. What about a bit? Oh, you want a bit? Okay. I do want a bit. I Give brought a bit. Give me a Okay. So... Uh, since we're talking about camps, I thought I would dive into the wonderful world of summer camps from around the world. And my God, are there some interesting things out there? Uh-oh. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got some interesting stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, so which of the following summer camps is the most expensive camp to go to in the world? Topping out at about $20,000 for six weeks. One. 
the Junior and Teen Camp Switzerland, which includes traditional camp activities, language courses, and skiing down the Matterhorn using the camp's private cable car. Also includes trips and excursions to other skiing locations all around Europe. Two, oh, okay, I don't speak French. Académie de l'Opéra de Pékin, based in Lyon, France, offers a place where children from around the world can engage with world-famous Chinese opera stars, learning performance, acrobats, and martial arts from professionals that have escaped from their homeland and teach the art in exile. Okay. Three, Neptune's Reef Subaquatic Academy. In Dubai, United Arab Emirates, this summer academy is the first fully aquatic youth summer experience. Though ostensibly a summer learning program, classes are taught in clear underwater classrooms offering breathtaking views of man-made reefs. The camp offers an underwater sports facility and pool. That's so fucking Dubai. Dubai. <laughs> or four. I mean, I just, oh. <laughs> or four. The Trump Summer Camp Stravaganza in Hoboken, <laughs> New Jersey. Campers learn all about the exciting and profitable world of fashion by learning to assemble the finest pieces gathered from all around the world into top-notch footwear and handbags. Food is provided. Number three, Dubai Aquatic Dubai. Center. Dubai, 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 Final Dubai, answer. Dubai. Oh, we got all in for Dubai. In fact, the real one is the Junior Teen Camp Switzerland. Oh, so uh, ski camp. It's the ski camp. It's literally a like luxury ski resort on the Matterhorn with a private cable car going to the top. All right. Uh, second one. Which is the following is not a course offered at Guardian Adventures Zombie Stem Summer Camp based in Central Mass, uh, uh, Central that take, Massachusetts. That takes me back. One, <laughs> DNA and biology uh, courses to best identify and cure zombies. Two, environmental and conservation tactics to prevent the rise of zombies. Three, survival out, oh, excuse me. Three, outdoor and survival and trap making. Or four, marksmanship and hand-to-hand -hand fighting. <laughs> Which of these is not a course offered at Guardian Adventures uh, Zombie oh, Stem Summer three. Camp? Three. What, what was three again? Three was outdoor survival and trap making. I mm. think number one, I think identifying and trying to cure uh, that sounds a little made up to me. Okay, that's the one you don't think is in the zombie stem summer camp. Yeah. Uh, either of you guys have a guess? I'm marksmanship, because I don't think marksmanship is in a stem camp. Okay. Uh, the survival trap making. Okay. The correct answer is, in fact, outdoor survival and trap making. Ah, of course uh, it's Trevor. <laughs> it's STEM courses, so it's a heavy emphasis on science. Yep. And uh, the marksmanship. Oh, I the STEM part of that. Yep. Oh, well. The marksmanship in hand-to-hand -hand fighting is just because it's zombies. You got to have that. All right. Which of the following is not a real summer camp? Spy camp. Sea turtle camp. <laughs> skydiving camp. Or Hollywood stunt camp. Sea turtle camp. I think skydiving camp. Okay. We got one for turtles, one for skydiving. I think skydiving, yeah. just because... Because that seems just the 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 legal logistics of, like, the danger yeah. of skydiving. That seems okay. a little I, intense. I give you consent to throw my teenager out of an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> That's a the correct answer is, in fact, skydiving camp. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, 
uh, sea, sea turtle camp is actually a thing in uh, oh, totally. North Carolina, Top Cell Beach. Yeah. Uh, you get to go and swim with sea turtles and learn all about sea conservation and that sort of stuff. <laughs> and uh, Hollywood Stunt Camp exists in Running Springs. And Spy Camp is in uh, Ca- Lake Como, Pennsylvania, where you can learn uh, how to trail people, surveil people, and martial arts and escape. You know, Don, that's just what they want you to think. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question of the day. One of these is a real camp. I am not making this up. Which one of these is the real summer camp? One, Michael Jackson's Summer is Magic Summer Camp. Two, Edward Gorey Summer Fun Experience. I don't know who that is. Uh, Edward Gorey is a famous artist who uh, his most famous thing is this sort of gothic thing about an alphabet where each letter is a different way a different child dies. Okay. Uh, B is for three. Basil, who was buried by bears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three, La Llorona Summer Swim Program. Oh. <laughs> okay. Or four, Ted Nugent's Camp for Kids. Camp is spelled with a K. Ooh. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm going to say Michael boy. Jackson. Michael Jackson Summer is Magic Summer Camp. I'm sorry. What was the question? Uh, Which one is? Which the of the following is a real summer camp? Three are made up. One is three are made up. Real. One is real. I think the real one is. Uh, they all sound pretty convincing. I'm gonna say Michael Jackson also because they. I feel like they just monetize the shit out of him. Okay, we got two for Michael Jackson. What are you uh, thinking, Dan? I I don't know any better, so I'll go with the Michael Jackson. That's probably wrong. Okay, we got three for Michael Jackson. Uh, fun with molestation for children, but no. In fact, who better to teach your child hunting, the Ten Commandments, and all the world's to cat oh scratch fever than the one and only Ted, Ted Nugent, Nugent. Oh the Detroit God. knocker, the Detroit rocker, gun activist, and staunch conservative, founded his volunteer staff nonprofit. Camp for Kids, spelled with a K, in 1990. For two weekends each summer, little noogies aged 11 (laughs) to 16 are taught basic lessons in life like international bow education, Mm. hunter safety and law, the golden rule, and the Ted Commandments. And yes, Ted Commandments. Yeah. And Ted Nugent (laughs) does come and lecture them himself. I bet he does. Yeah. And you know, when they graduate, they get their third K. Oh boy. So, yeah. Dear listener, if you so survived Michael Jackson's Summer is Magic Summer Camp experience, tell us all about it. Trevor, where could they do that? Well, we're on Instagram really and Twitter funny. as at Big Fat Gay Pod. We're on Facebook as the Big Fat Gay Podcast. Leave us five stars there. Leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts. See the articles we talked about at www.patreon.com. Out. Support us on Patreon. See the articles we talked about at www.bigfatgaypod.com. Cha, I think I did everything. Yeah, I think it's yeah. close enough. We do We're it all the time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. You maybe you're you're at camp and you're you're on the blob and it's your turn. But we're all coming, baby, and we're about oh, no. to launch you into the stratosphere. So <laughs> watch out. <laughs>